I do want to thank all of you that came out last week for uh, kickoff Sundays. Despite the weather, I mean, it poured out there. And then I banged my head. After everybody had gone, there was only about 10 people here, and I went to the taco truck, and the taco truck had the awning, and I was yapping with the taco people, and I turned full speed right into the awning. I, it was so bad, the taco people called here on Monday to make sure I was still all right. They're like, is he okay? I am okay. I told them to tell them it knocked a little sense into me. Anyway, uh, if you were here, because we couldn't go outside, it was a mob uh, scene in a foyer. And so I was doing my best last week to get around to try to meet everybody. See, anytime I saw somebody I didn't know, I tried to go up and introduce myself to them. And, and then I... If you, if you come here often, you know I do this sometimes. I, I did it again. If you speak up front for a living, uh, I've shared this with you over the years, it's almost inevitable that now and then, and for me, sometimes it can be more now than then, you put your foot in your mouth. So I was out there Sunday in the lobby, the crowded lobby, doing my thing, trying to welcome new folks, charm people, right? When I met this young guy, 20-something, standing on the side of the coffee bar, he was over there by himself, he seemed kind of alone, so I went up to him and introduced myself. I said, hi, my name's John, um, I'm the pastor, and he seemed pretty happy, and, and I engaged him, and he shook my hand, and he told me his name. And, you know, this is where it started to go wrong. It was one of those goofy millennial names, you know, where the parents can't really decide which name they want, so they pick both of them and just kind of mosh them together, right? So he looks at me and he says, yeah, he said, uh, my name is Jathan. I said, Jathan, right? Not Jason and not Nathan, but Jathan. And so I'm terrible with names. So I've taught myself this little trick. When somebody tells me a name, I try to repeat it back to them three times, right? So I said, um, I said, hey, it's really nice to meet you, Jathan. I said, I'm so glad you came out today, Jathan. And I said, you know, that you have a very interesting name, Jathan. And I saw this kind of look. Now, remember, it was crowded out there loud. And I saw this kind of look of hurt and horror come across his face, and he... He just stares at me and goes, wow, are you serious right now? I can't think about it. That didn't actually happen, <laughs> but it could. Why do I start with that crazy story? Because if it were true, and it could have been, it is symptomatic right there, that little exchange, right? the mindsets and all the rest, of what I see happening in our world all over the place, and it's, it's, causing, and it, it's causing a lot of pain and hurt and expressions of horror. What is it? Well, I'll put it this way. It's characterized by two things. Number one, no longer do we have the ability to listen to one another. We just, we're not interested, right? We, we have our opinion, and I'm not interested in your opinion. And when, even, even if we do listen to each other, we have an inability to understand one another anymore. For some of you, you're seeing it play out um, in, in your places of work, in your community centers, in the school systems, you name it, right? Um, anybody send a freshman off to college this year? A lot of times, right? Um, if you send a kid off to college, they come back for Thanksgiving, freshman parents get ready for this, and it's like a different person comes back than the one you sent off, right? Everything that you thought you raised them to think, the things that you thought they believed had suddenly changed or, 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 or clearly morphed. 
Which, of course, means what they used to do, what, where they used to go, maybe even the crowd they used to hang with, uh, and how they, they act. Somehow it now seems changed. And so you try to talk to them about it, and it's like you're almost talking to a stranger. They don't believe what you used to, or what you, they used to believe, and what you believe. Suddenly things you agreed on, you don't. And not only that, it's like you can't even comprehend how they can possibly believe some of the things they're saying. Have you ever had that? Like, seriously, you believe that? The conversation winds up like in an argument, a heated argument, highlighted by you telling them they've been become brainwashed by their liberal-leaning, left-wing, Marxist, socialist, woke, wacko college professors. And they tell you you're a narrow-minded, judgmental, hypocritical, bigoted, hate-filled, sexually repressed fascist. And off you go to your corners. And that's just how it plays itself out in our living rooms, right? Let alone on, on the news channels. We don't hear each other. We're not really interested in, in what the other has to say. We don't listen. And most importantly, even if we listen, we don't understand. Actually, maybe the biggest issue is that we don't even want to understand each other. This type of relational dynamic is being played out not just in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities. This week, I saw it at the gym, minding my own business, and I was between two ladies that were clearly friends, and I was on my machine, and they were kind of on each side of my machine, and they started talking about their vacation plans, and one person was saying she can't go to where she wanted to go because of vaccine um, mandates, and then the other person expressed her feelings about the ma vaccine mandates, and then this person expressed her differing opinions about the, the vaccine mandates, and you could just literally feel the relationship would go doof, 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 and they just kind of like, okay, and went their separate ways, or just over, literally, a vacation plan. Not interested in understanding one another, this is my, my opinion. And then, you guys know what happens, right? The marketing machines get a hold of this, politicians begin to get involved, who make money or get votes by playing up the division, ginning it up, imputing then, because of the divisions, bad will and ill motive to others who don't see things the way that you do. And then before you know it, it's not that we disagree with one another, it's that we hate each other. And you hear what the language we use around these issues. We don't debate or support what we believe in. What do we do? We fight for it. This isn't a disagreement. This is a war. And as followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to get caught up into all of that mindset. And when we do... The cause of Jesus in the community suffers. Last week, I shared with you my favorite chapter in all of the scripture, Luke 15, right? We talked about Jesus telling the parables, three right in a row, of a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son, and how they point to, to God's desire to have people far from him who don't know him found. There's nothing he won't do to reach people far from himself with the hope and the promise and the good news of Jesus. Neither our children or our teens or our neighbors are going to hear that message if they think the followers of Jesus are hate-filled enemies who've declared war against them. So I chose the title for this series, Eye to Eye. It's from a pretty cool prophecy in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the prophets, God's prophets, that he used in Israel. Many of you know, actually, the beginning of this verse. It's a pretty famous verse that Isaiah utters. We even have a song, you know, if, if you're a hymn person, there's a song about it. 
How lovely, how lovely on, go ahead, take it. Yeah. <laughs> how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who announce peace and bring good news of happiness, who announce salvation and says to Zion, in the scripture, Zion is also often a synonym for Jerusalem or for Israel, and say to Zion, your God reigns. This is the verse, if you've, if you've ever been to a missions conference, right? It's launched a thousand missionary conferences. We're going to reach people far from God with the message of Jesus. How beautiful and marvelous, how lovely are even the feet of those who would go and bring good news to a people far from God. That's supposed to be people like you and me. We should be people of beautiful feet. Now, here's the interesting verse that comes next. Isaiah says that your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. You see, Isaiah foretells of a time when the Savior would come, that people that were watching for him, the watchmen, would begin to see eye to eye. They'll see their Savior and his salvation in the same way. This is actually where we get the saying, eye to eye from, comes from that scripture. Seeing eye to eye is, in a sense, a mark of the followers of Jesus. They see Jesus and his world, or our world, in new and similar ways. Now, here's the problem, and you all know this, right? The Savior has come. Even the staunchest of secular historians would agree that Jesus existed, but for those of us that revere him to be who he said he is, the way, the truth, and the life, even though the Savior has come, even those of us that believe it and revere him, we have a hard time seeing eye to eye, don't we? Seeing things in these new and similar ways. And thus, the birth of this series. Now, here's the deal. If I can manage to maintain my job while going through this material, my goal will be twofold. The first is to teach through what it is those of us who follow Jesus say it is we believe, to try to get us to see eye to eye on those things, to, like the watchmen, sing these things together with one voice, and then, secondarily, to help us to understand other mindsets, other worldviews that are out there that you and I bump up and into each and every day. And this is important. Because you see, guys, if we're going to help people to find Jesus, if we're going to help our, our sons and daughters to find Christ in a culture that, that seems to have just pulled away, right, then we're going to have to stop fighting with them and start fighting for them. And we do that most effectively when we refuse to impute ill will towards each other, but begin to instead understand why others think the way they think. Because when we understand them and when they understand us, that's when the soil becomes ripe and tilled for the planting of the gospel, the seeds of the gospel, the good news for the community. That's when even in our disagreements, there are still ways we might see eye to eye. So let's get started and see how this goes. A second ago, I used the term worldview. I don't really love that term, honestly. I feel like it comes with a lot of kind of religious baggage attached to it. Other phrases that capture the idea of a worldview are a mental grid, right? We have a mental grid with which, you know, life kind of passes through and we see it. Frame of reference. 
maybe shared perceptions of what is real, true, and good. Perhaps it's easier just to say it this way. What we're looking at in these coming weeks is how we see things. You ever said that? Well, that's just the way I see things. That's what we're going to be looking at, right? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, when we speak of worldviews, the way we see things, the way we see the world, right, what we want then is to see the world the way Jesus sees the world. Sometimes, uh, some, someone a few years ago, I, I, I don't know who it was, but someone made a gajillion dollars selling rubberized WWJD bracelets, right? Remember those? I always wondered if Jesus got a, a royalty on any of that stuff. Right? It's a good question. What would Jesus do? But there's a better question, a much better question. It's WWJT. What would Jesus think? Why? Well, both the writers of the scriptures and most modern-day social scientists agree. Here's how Proverbs 23.7 says it regarding man. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is, so is he. Your thoughts, how you think, how you see things, control your actions, what you do. James Allen is the father of the self-help movement. He, he took that proverb and he wrote what's widely held to be the first self-help and maybe best-selling help book of all time, As a Man Thinketh. It sells millions of copies, which I think the writer of Proverbs got the same royalties that Jesus got on that. Now, the scriptures are replete with warnings about how we think, about worldviews in a sense. Here, here's a few of them, if I could share them to you. Here's from Proverbs. Uh, the writer said, tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. I want you to understand how you have to really look for this, okay? It's not easy. It's not natural. Tune your ears to wisdom. Concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and understanding. Search for them as you would. Boy, doesn't this sound interesting. A lost money or hidden treasure. Maybe a lost coin like last week. Then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you'll gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of good sense to the godly. Paul, the apostle Paul, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. Paul write, is writing to the church in Rome. Here's how he explained worldviews to them. He said, look, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, if you've come to follow Jesus, but you haven't transformed, you haven't changed the way you think, it's a problem. Then you'll know what God wants you to do. And you'll know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Again, to the Colossians, he said, don't let anybody lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. What we want to do what we want to see and understand things are the way Jesus sees and understands them. We want to think like Jesus. Why? So we can be and then do like Jesus. But you got to think like him first. Why all the warnings about this? Scripture is just replete. Well, the Old, prophet, or Old Testament prophet Hosea sums it up best. He goes, look, my people are destroyed from their lack of knowledge. Because here's the truth. I think, therefore I act. Many of you read Rick Warren's um, book, Purpose Driven Life. I think it's still the, the biggest selling book of all time. He put it something like this, be careful what you believe because what you believe makes it, 
uh, makes its way to how you behave. And how you behave ultimately dictates who you become. Or, if you really just want to remember it, simply, you could jot this one down, you get, you get the wrong root, you get the wrong fruit. It's just that simple. Now, for most of us who follow Jesus, who believe that he is who he said he is, right, this should be the goal of our mental grid. We want to think like Jesus, right? The goal for the way we see things, which seems rudimentary. If we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, if we want to trust him and follow him, then we want to see things the way Jesus sees things. We want to believe what it is Jesus believes because what Jesus believed influenced his actions too, just like we, what we believe will influence ours. Rudimentary. Christianity 101. Here's the problem. According to just about every study that you can look into, right, those of us who claim the name of Jesus hardly think like him at all. George Barna, we talked about him last week. He's president of the Barna Research Group. He actually put a number on it. This is some new and fresh data. 17%. His research shows that only 17% of Christians, and this is not just people who say they're Christians. This is Christians who said that their faith is important and they attend church regularly. Only 17% think the way Jesus thinks, see things the way Jesus sees things which isn't good. But here's something even more troubling. Again, according to brand new numbers that just came out this year, only 37% of pastors do. So you see, I need this series just as much as you. If we can't see eye to eye with Jesus, if we can't see eye to eye with one another, how are we going to ever see eye to eye with those who don't claim to, to know him or follow him? You get how important this is? My worldview, right, and everybody has one, is the beliefs that I've built my life upon, how I really perceive everything that happens to me, how I view God and myself, how I view other people, good and evil, life and death, the past, the present, the future, relationships, time, money, fairness, goodness, money, career, sickness, health, spouses, kids, they're all impacted. The way I, the way I act toward them is impacted by the, how I think. And again, just like opinions, everybody has a worldview. Anybody remember Forrest Gump's worldview? What was life like for Forrest Gump? Life is like Forrest had a, a worldview. Well, here's how I see things. You just don't know until you take a bite, right? Like, that's, he, that was his worldview. That's how he, he ran things through his mental grid. If you see life as a contest or a race or a struggle, you see this is all part of how you view things, and then it makes its way into who you become. It's the most important tool you have in your life because it's the basis for how you're going to make your decisions. It's how you decide what to do and what not to do. And most of the time, guys, you are unconsciously making, you're accessing your worldview and not even being aware of it. Most of the time, you're not even aware that you're, you're, you're kind of tying into what you believe to be true and real. Let me give you a, a, an example that happened to me the other day. I was uh, at a college bookstore, and I went, and, and we had bought two car stickers. We're one of the, these obnoxious people. We buy the car sticker. But we're also lazy, so we're obnoxious and we're lazy, which means we buy the car sticker, but we never put it on, which is the worst kind of car sticker people. But anyway, I'm standing in line, and I've got these two overpriced car, car window stickers, and I give them to the woman, and she only rings up one, puts both of them in the bag. 
I had a choice to make, right? What's my worldview right there? Is it that there is a right, a, a right and wrong, and that would be stealing, and that, that right and wrong is informed by something in my past? Or is it, hey man, you're lost, or it's my lucky day, or I must have done something right? So after I took the two stickers for the price of one, I... <laughs> No, you know, actually, it always helps me with that because, you know, that happens a lot to all of us probably. But I always think to myself, you know, what is, like, my credibility worth, right? Is it worth three bucks? Like, lady, there was two there. But that's all informed by your worldview, right? If you thought Jesus, if, you, if your worldview was Jesus is coming tomorrow, would that impact how you live today? Wouldn't you change your plans? If you thought Jesus was not coming back in your lifetime, is that going to change how you live tomorrow? Of course it is. It's going to impact how you raise your children, what you do with your time and your money, all of those things, right? So working on worldview is the most practical thing you could do. It impacts relationships and goals and motivations and worry and anxiety and happiness. Now, there are lots. I mean, there's millions of worldviews. I just gave you Forrest Gump's, right? Honestly, I'd be up here all, all the whole series going through them. I'm just going to go over this morning some of the competing worldviews that are out there that I know you're running into. I, I, at least I'm running into them, right? And, and, and here's the truth. We're not just running into them. To different degrees, we buy into them. We're, we're all in, too. Here's the first one. A lot of us have subtly bought into the worldview known as materialism. Right? That's one, one worldview. When you live in Mendham and Chester, it's a, it's a dominant worldview, right? Life is kind of found, it's made up, its value is in the abundance of our possessions, right? Our worth, our value is predicated upon our success. How do we judge our success? How do we judge our worth? Well, by our fame or by our fortune. Years ago, some of you are old enough, remember, there was a bumper sticker actually, it literally said, he who dies with the most toys wins. Anybody remember that? That's a, that's a materialism worldview. And see, it's sneaky materialism. It, it hides. Most of us would say, right, if I asked you, do you have a materialistic worldview, almost every one of us would go, no, 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 I understand that, you know, that, that, that life isn't consistent just having stuff. There, there's a lot of things more important than our stuff. But I'm telling you, it's deep in there. When you pull up, I won't ask you to raise your hands, although maybe I will. When you pull up in, a, in front of someone's house that you've never been to before, and have you ever pulled up into someone's, in front of someone's house and it's just like colossal, right? How does it make you feel? If it's impacting the way you feel, you might be a materialist. Conversely, if you've pulled up in front of somebody's house and it's much smaller than yours, and it makes you feel something, you have a materialistic worldview. It's impacting. You're going, oh, I, I, I'm more successful, therefore I'm, I think I might have more value in some sense. You see how it's so deep in there? This is a predominant one in our culture. In the first quarter of this year, the average credit card holder in the, U in the United States has nearly $6,000 in credit card debt, up 3% from last year, and we have opened 31 million more credit cards accounts in the last quarter. Materialism, right? I can buy it. It'll make me happy. 
And you know where it leads. We're smart people. We know where it leads to. We say money can't buy you happiness. But the problem is we say we, 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 say we believe that, but we're not really making choices that reflect that. And the choices are really the outcome of what we really think. And our choices wind up impacting the people we become. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about all of these varying worldviews. Here's what he had to say about materialism. Watch out. I like that. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Do you sense the urgency? Here's another, here's another one that you'll see out in our cultures today. Individualism. You don't have to see it. You'll see it in your own heart, just like you'll see the materialist thing. Individualism. As you've likely heard it expressed, I got to look out for number one. It's all about me. Life revolves around me, my rights, my feelings, my thoughts, my judgments. They all have to be honored and submitted to. Now, marketers appear, appeal to this worldview all the time with the word deserve. Listen for that today when you're going home and watching football, right? You really see it when you watch um, golf because they, they, play, they play up Rolex watches. I deserve, I deserve. Remember McDonald's, you deserve a break today? Dr. Pepper um, has one that you deserve, a, you deserve a delicious Dr. Pepper right now. Sprite puts a different spin on it. Obey your thirst. Just listen to you, it, it. Just listen to it. And think about what this mindset does to communities and relationships and marriages. If it's only about my rights and my self-actualization, it's all about me being better at being me. Jesus had a take on individualism. Here's what he said. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I mean, is there, could there be a bigger difference? I got to look out for number one, right? Whoever loses their life will find it. Don't put yourself first. Jesus, the servant of all, said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, that's what you are going to need to be, the servant of everyone. This is a way of thinking that leads, these two different patterns, right, will lead to very different lives. You will make very different choices, and your children are watching. So, by the way, is our community. Here's a third common one, hedonism. Simply put, pleasure is the ultimate pursuit. If it feels good, do it. No restraint. Good and evil are, are simply defined by pleasure or pain. If it feels good, it's good. If it hurts, stop doing it. There are actually, you guys know this, um, I remember when Joe and I were getting ready to go on our honeymoon, we were looking up all-inclusives. You know there's two all-inclusives? So, the first one got so popular they had to make a second. Hedonism one and hedonism two. You just go to hedonism. It's actually a place. The Bachelor TV show always reminds me of this kind of mindset, right? Just the pursuit of pleasure. It doesn't matter who gets crushed along the way. People no longer say things like, I think we should do such and such. What you'll hear people th that, that have kind of gotten this mindset is, I feel we should do such and such. See, that's the mindset of hedonism. It's all about how I feel. And, and gluttony is just like the natural, the, the natural result of a hedonistic mindset. In fact, I got challenged. I heard one speaker he can, speaking on the hedonistic mindset this week. He said, if all you do is sit around and think about retirement all day, you might be a hedonist. And I said, damn, I'm a hedonist. <laughs> right? Because my goal is to make so much money that I don't have to do anything. 
It's all about me and my pleasure. It's like the forefront of my mindset. I'm, I've got some hedonist in my, in my worldview. And again, right, because thinking becomes doing, which becomes our lives, the scriptures just are so replete with warnings. Here's what the writer of Proverbs said. I love the message translation here. He goes, you're addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. All right, here's another way of seeing things that you see everywhere today. It's called pragmatism, or as I've entitled it, you do you, boo. I dropped the boo off here. Right? Hey, man, whatever works, whatever works for you is cool, man. You do it, right? All that matters is that it works. It doesn't matter if it's right or if it's wrong or if it's true or false. You live your truth. Have you heard that? Is it right or wrong? Doesn't matter. The only question is, does it work? Can I get ahead if I do this? Can I make money doing this? Open marriages. Right? That's, a, that's kind of a, a pragmatic, prag, you know, what keeps the marriage fresh? Well, we cheat on each other, right? But we're, but we're okay with it, right? It works. You do you. OnlyFans, the, you know, the rise of the OnlyFans websites. Well, it works, you know, works for me. Put some content out there, make a little money. These are all the examples of, of, the, of, of the fruition of, of pragmatism. If it works for you, then who's to tell you not to do it? See, for pragmatists, the ends just always justify the means. But again, God sees things so differently, and the scriptures are just replete, warning after warning about these alternative worldviews. How about this one? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way, its, its way is death. I mean, it was working. It seems good. It works. I know, but it's going to lead to death. I'll just give you one or two more. Here's one that many of the millennial generation and Gen Zers have acquired because it's so predominant in our communities. Naturalism. What you see is what you get. Anybody remember WYSIWYG? I know my friend Dave would remember WYSIWYG. That was like computer programming stuff. What you see is what you get. This mindset says all that there is is all that I can see or prove. That's all there is. Naturalists contend that God doesn't exist. I can't see God. I can't prove God. Therefore, there is no God. Any perception of a divine presence is just a projection of our own experience. There's no creator of the cosmos. There are no, no interventions such as miracles or divine direction. Matter and the universe have just always existed. Everything's essentially a unified machine. People are just elements in the machine that have evolved from existing matter. And if that's true, if you follow that mindset, history and human life have no purpose. All experiences are just based on random happenings and chance. Whatever value exists in the world is thus a human invention. Death isn't something to be feared. It's not even something to ponder. It's just merely the transition of human matter into another form of matter. To naturalists, there's no life after death. You live, you die, and that's it. And I think this is why so many of our teens are struggling with depression and anxiety. Because notice what this worldview does to our humanity. We become mere cosmic accidents. Here is a result just of time and chance and matter. When we die, that's it. There's no lasting meaning, purpose, or value to life. I'm pointless, and so are you. 
And I'm not just speaking out of turn, right? Um, Bertrand Russell, who's kind of a, a famous atheist, right? Brilliant, brilliant mathematician. Here's what he said about, about this concept. He said, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. So for a naturalist, why? What do you mean purpose of life? There is no purpose of life. Now think about where that leads. Naturalists say things like, well, I believe in science, not religion which of course is a statement of faith itself. And, and it takes a lot of faith to look at the intricate design of the world and think that it all randomly happened, right? Just randomly all happened this way. From, and even, even the scientists would say, and it all began at a un under, or to date ununderstood origin. Here's what Paul said about this way of thinking. He said, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, they've clearly been seen, being understood from what's been made. So the people are without excuse. For all they knew, they knew God. I mean, they saw it. They neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Just being silly, right? Being silly that you see the, 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 the inherent design in all things and going, ah, just a random chance. Here's, here's the last one I'll give you. I'm not going to get into this one too much, but the concept of pantheism or humanism. I, I don't like putting too many philosophical titles in these things because I know none of us will remember them, but this is the, the thought process of you are your own God. That's the mindset, right? This is the way of seeing things is, is deeply rooted in a lot of the new age stuff and self-help mindsets. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm in charge of my own destiny. I can make it happen. It's all up to me. It's all on me. I can do anything that I put my mind to. There is no God. There is me. I am God and God is in me. God and I are one. Which, of course, is really the original temptation of man. I, I would like to be like God, right back to the garden. So instead of worshiping God, what we wind up doing is worshiping ourselves or worshiping things that we've created. We ourselves become our own idols, or we make things into idols that we then begin to worship. Our cars, our homes, our jobs, even good things like our families or our spouses. Again, Paul to the church in Rome he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. I just love that. Serve created things. We bought this house that I live in 20, a long time ago, and I had a pool. We never wanted a pool in, in, uh, to begin with, but it was there, so we still have it. I serve that pool, like literally, I serve it, right? I'm telling you, I'm, I think it thinks I worship it. Between the money I spend on it and the time I have to put into it, right? I never go in it. I just keep it nice. And so at some level, right, I'm also a humanist. And so these are all the worldviews and the mindsets. These are the mental grids that our friends and our neighbors and our children and we have. They're in us and they're competing with a mindset, the worldview, the way Jesus saw things. And what was Jesus' mindset? What was his worldview? Well, philosophers call it, and again, I, I, I don't like to use all of these terms because I know we won't remember, but philosophers call it Christian theism. Jesus' point of view. This is the one we want to have if you're following Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't follow Jesus, hopefully this is the one you will see us have. 
Now, Paul summed this one up this way. This is so perfect. Here's how Paul sums up the way Jesus sees things. Paul goes, we look at the, this, this son, Jesus, we look at Jesus and see God's original purpose in everything created, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. That's how Jesus sees things. Very different than the way, you're starting to see why only 17% of us really buy into this. It's a very different way of thinking, right? And so we're going to go do over the next few weeks is start to look at how Jesus sees, sees things, start to see how it differs from the way we see things, our friends and our neighbors and our families see things. But for today, let me kind of give you a, a little take on how Jesus sees things. And, and I didn't want to make Maggie have to try to do this, so I figured I'd, I'd write it up on here. So a Christian worldview, okay, is God-centered. So God is at the center of a Christian worldview, right? Not me. All the others, it was me, right, finding my way. A Christian worldview is God at the center, and this is a God of love. Okay, this is not the angry God that's just looking a white man out. It's a God of love that's expressed in equal parts justice and mercy. God is at the center. That's who he is. Next thing that's important in terms of understanding, seeing things the way Jesus saw them, that God created. God created everything. He made man and women. He made them in his image. He made them on purpose for his purpose. Nothing that has happened has happened randomly. It's all been part of God's divine will, which means that you're all imbued with, with great dignity, right? Because you're created in the image of God. All right, and then what we believe, what Jesus believed and understood, is that sin has stained that creation. So we believe it's God-centered. God created it all for his purposes, right, in his image, but sin has stained it. In other words, this is important. Things are not now the way God created them to be. A lot of times with worldviews, you'll hear people say, I don't believe God made accidents. God has not made accidents. You are 100% right. However, we live in a broken world where accidents happen, where bad things happen, where there is pain and there's hurt and there's sorrow and there's disappointment, right? Where we have been separated from God because of that sin, because of our brokenness, right? And that God, because of his equal part justice, right, because of sin, we die. We pay the punishment due our sin. All right? So we believe, we don't believe everything's great. We believe the world is sin-stained. The people are sin-stained. That's why there was a Savior sent. There's a Savior sent. This is the part, equal part, God's mercy. God, because he's fully just, he, he has Jesus pay the penalty due our sin. But God, because he's fully merciful, does not make you and I pay it. He takes it on himself. We needed a savior. We couldn't do it on our own, right? And as a result, we are reunited back to God. And heaven awaits those who are believers in Jesus. That we will one day again, there will be a new creation, right? A new heaven and a new earth, and we will exist on it the way God created it to be. That this 
is actually our home. We're going to spend billions and billions and billions of years here, not here on earth, right? That's our eternal home. The scriptures say, set your minds where? Here. Not on earthly things. See, Christians believe that the earth is a temporary home. Now, it doesn't mean it's worthless or pointless. In fact, we're to be stewards of this place. Even before sin came into the picture, God created us to work in the garden with him. We were to be stewards and builders of this, of this place. And we have purpose in our lives here on earth. Because of what Jesus did on earth, we have Christ's life, which means that our lives are no longer our own if we turn them over to Christ and have this salvation, right? The Spirit of Christ dwells within us and gives us the power to begin to transform, to think differently, so we act differently and become increasingly more like Jesus. And finally, Christ is our King. Christ is our King. It's not, that we just, it's not that Jesus is just our friend. He is. But Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, and it begins now, today. It's existing, and we play into it. That was the good news. The good news is you don't wait for heaven to have eternal life and walk with Christ. It came now. So now we live in a new kingdom with a new king. What do we do when we have kings? We obey them. This is a benevolent dictatorship. He is a good and wonderful king. And so we follow him. It was Jesus that said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So we believe that. You see, these are the underpinnings of Christian theism. This is the mental grid through which our decisions should be processed, and it's very different than others. Right? Think about a non-Christian worldview, right, from all the ones we just talked about. They're going to be def different. And it, listen, friends. People that don't believe this are not bad, they're not evil, and they're not your enemies. We have to stop with that stuff. Jesus saw them as friends. They just think differently. It means they see things different. And we can't be good messengers of good news if we don't first see things together the way Jesus does and then humbly understand the thinking of others. I mean, if, if you're a non-Christian, think about it. A non-Christian point of view... Who's at the center of a non-Christian point of view? Man. God's not at the center. Man's at the center. Right? There's no personal God of love. And, and who created? Nobody. It's just natural selection. It's Darwinism. The strong survive, right? It's, it's random choice. Which, by the way, is a faith, right? I mean, you have to have a faith to believe that it's all just random. But random choice. No purpose at all. Now, because they don't believe in a God or, or, or creation, I mean, there is no such thing as sin. Most, your, your friends believe this, and we do to a certain extent too. We get confused. Most of us would go, I believe that, uh, what, there's a country song, I believe most people are good. I'm singing a lot today, but anyway, right? <laughs> this is deep in the culture. Oh, no, no, everybody's good. I mean, there's a few bad apples out there, but for the most part, we're good. See, so, so there's no sin issues, and so therefore you don't need a savior. And if there's no savior, there's no personal revelation of God at all. I mean, even if they were to acknowledge that maybe there's a God, I look at design and okay, I'm an agnostic, but then you have no revelation of God. If he exists, he's impersonal or unknowable. 
right? Heaven, heaven doesn't exist, right? Heaven doesn't exist, or if it exists, everybody goes there, right? It's a different way of thinking. And then earth, since heaven doesn't exist, what is earth? Earth is our home. It's all that there is. Life here is the most significant thing. It matters the most, right? My purpose on earth is to be happy. Over here, happiness is a byproduct. Over here, happiness is a pursuit. This is a pursuit of holiness. This is a pursuit of happiness, right? And so you don't have Christ's life here. You have my life. It's all about self-actualization. It's all about not repressing anything, any desire that I have. They're all equally valid. Again, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not trying to denigrate this, this worldview. It's, it's a valid worldview, right? So, so at the core is me and whatever my feelings are, whatever I want to do, I should do. In fact, it's all about just discovering more of me. So I can be more of who I am. I want to express everything. And then finally, it's my kingdom. It's my kingdom. Truth. Here, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Here, guess who gets to decide what's right and wrong? Me. How do I decide it? Based on how I feel at any given time. It's very, very different, right? Now, here's the problem. We all know this. For most of us, we want to think like Jesus. But we mix in lots of these other worldviews. We live, for example, oftentimes, can we be honest? Don't we live oftentimes like earth is our home? And so when we start to think, we don't keep our minds focused on heavenly things, but we just worry about everything on earth, all of our savings and our money. Remember, Jesus kept saying, like, why do you worry about all these things? But we, we consider oftentimes, too often, that earth is our home, and our pursuit becomes happiness. So we take kind of my life, my kingdom, and then we put that in our worldview over here. And then when this is the end, my life and my kingdom, what does it make God? It makes him responsible for making me happy. We get ourselves all screwed up about this, right? We honor and follow him to the extent he does that. See, there are millions of examples of blending these views. It, we do it all the time. Uh, philosophers call it Christian syncretism. Our neighbors, you know what our neighbors call it? Christian hypocrisy. You say one thing, but you don't do it. You, you, don't, you don't live it. We say one thing, we do another. And we're all guilty of it. This side says be holy. This side says be happy. Let me ask you a question. If I walked in here, if, you, if, if I asked you at the door when you walked in, what's the one thing you want most for your kids? What would you have said, everyone of you walked in? I just want them to be? See? We get a, a worldly grid that we run things through. Nobody's going to go, oh, I want my kid to be holy. But the happiness is a byproduct of the holiness. It's, it's a byproduct of this worldview. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look and, and see how people see things, those that share our views and those that don't. And the hope is going to be that we can once again, with one another inside the church and our friends and neighbors outside of the church, begin to see eye to eye. If you want to know where we're going, I'm going to be using seven questions that Barna in his research laid out for this kind of thinking. He wrote a book called Think Like Jesus. 
He says there's literally hundreds of questions we could ask. He goes, but it only takes seven questions to facilitate a practical and comprehensive understanding of God's truth. Here are the seven questions. Does God exist? You'll see this in here. Does God exist? What's the character and nature of God? How and why was the world created? What is the nature and purpose of humanity? What happens after we die? What spiritual authorities ex exist? And finally, what is truth? He actually put this pretty, pretty cool acrostic to it. Maggie did her very best to help me do this. Um, be aware. Be aware. That's what we're going to try to do over the coming weeks. Be aware. Aware of our own worldviews where we've, we've mixed and morphed things, right? Aware, aware of our neighbor's worldviews, right? How they think, how they see things. And the goal isn't to denigrate or despair how others think. That's not what love does. It doesn't win anybody's hearts and minds to do that. And so we're going to honor and respect the sons and daughters of God that are far from him that he wants found. And if we're ever going to see eye to eye with them, first, we have to see eye to eye with Jesus ourselves. And then with one another. And then we have to understand and appreciate our friends and our neighbors and our children in order to help them see. They have to be able to look at us and honor the way we live so that we can help them to see what we see. I'm going to close with this. The band can come up. It's the best quote I saw about this, this whole topic this week. Um, it, it, it just really brought it home. And, it, and this is why it's the most practical thing we're going to do in a, in a long time here. We have to think about what we think. Here's what one writer said. He said, watch your thoughts because they become words. Watch your words because they become actions. Watch your actions because they become habits. Watch your habits because they become character. Watch your character for it becomes your destiny. Learning to see eye to eye. I hope you will uh, join me over the next couple of weeks so we can begin to understand each other and our friends and neighbors better. Father, open our minds today that we might see Jesus. Amen. Let me get you all to stand and we'll close the song.